Well, good morning, Thrive Church. How are we doing this morning? Great to have you guys with us today. If you're just joining us, we're in a series on generosity. We take um, at least one series out of the year to talk about that. We believe that's a part of discipleship and growing in your faith. Um, and it's what God wants for you, not what he wants from you. And let me just say this again off the bat. It's what we want for you, not from you. So as we talk about generosity, before we ever get into it, with your mental objection, if you're thinking, this guy wants my money, remember what we always say, and we're, and we're serious, that gift to thrive.com. Go give there if you think we want your money. Um, we're not after what God wants from you. We know what God wants for you. And so go ahead and turn your Bibles today to a very familiar passage on generosity, which is Malachi chapter 3. Malachi chapter 3. There's a story about Alexander the Great. And one day during one of the conquests, they found one of his troops, and he was hiding in a cave, cowering away from the fight. And Alexander walks up to him. He says, son, tell me your name. And the young man looked up sheepishly and said, Alexander. He said, no, tell me your real name. And he looks up again and says, Alexander. He says, I'm asking you one more time, tell me your name. He says, my name is Alexander. He said, I suggest either you change your ways or change your name. Because he was also Alexander the Great. I think so many times in our life, that's what we need to think about as Christ followers. We, we carry the name Christian, Christ follower, believer. But when it comes to our faith and actually living that out, I think sometimes we're like the kid in the cave. We carry the name of Christ, but we don't live that out. And especially when it comes to the area of generosity. And the scripture we're going to look at today is the time when God was actually telling his people, the Jews, to change your ways because you're not representing me correctly. Now here's what Malachi is. Malachi is the time where the Jews were now finally restored after Babylonian captivity. Finally, after all that time, we just left the series in Daniel. Remember, they were in Babylon for 70 years in exile. Uh, they had, were disobedient to God. And during that time, there were prophets saying, even Jeremiah said, I know, I know the plans I have for you. Remember that? Plans to prosper you, to give you a hope and a future. Well, they were slaves. They were like, really? Well, this is now the restoration. They are now back in Jerusalem. The temple has been rebuilt, their houses are built, the walls built, things are great. They have been restored. Jeremiah 29, 11 is real, it comes to pass. Here's the problem though. Even though God had restored all that, they kind of came back to doing the things, the mo going through the motions. They weren't set setting up pagan idols in the temple, but they had left the Lord. Their heart was not in it. They were showing up, doing the religious checklist, going to synagogue on Saturdays, checking the list. And Malachi is a prophet that God sent to speak to the children of Israel. And what's interesting is, this is the last book before the New Testament. This is the last thing that God has to say before 400 years of silence, before you know, we see the Gospels come and, and Jesus come on there. This is the last thing the Lord wants to say to them. And Malachi wants to speak to them about returning to God. And you're going to say, see that they don't understand. They think they're okay. They think they're fine. When God says, actually, they're not fine. And look at Malachi chapter 3, verse 6. And verse 6 is going to be key for today's message because we're in the Old Testament. It is, it is the Old Covenant. I'm going to show you how that applies to us today. But here's what the Lord says through Malachi to the children of Israel. He says, I am the Lord. I do not change. This is why you descendants of Jacob are not already destroyed. That means God's mad. Ever since the days of your ancestors, you have scorned my decrees and failed to obey them. 
Now return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of heaven's armies. But you ask, how can we return if we've never gone away? They had no clue they had walked away from the Lord. They had no clue they were far from God. That's a scary place to be. So how can we return? And watch this. The Lord says to them, should people cheat God, yet you have cheated me? But you ask, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you? And God says this, this is how you have cheated me of the tithes and offerings due to me. You are under a curse, for your whole nation has been cheating me. Now bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. Now in context, I say this all the time. You have to understand this about the Bible. The Bible was not written to you. It was written for you. That was written to the Israelites thousands of years ago, right? It was not written to you. It's not written to me. We're not Jews. We're not under the old covenant. But the Bible is written for us correctly, which means this. we got to figure out what does this mean for us today. If we're not Jews under the old covenant, if we haven't left God but not bringing all the tithes and offerings to the temple, we're not going to Jewish synagogue, what does this mean for us? Because when Christ came, Christ fulfilled the old covenant. You know, you know the word Old Testament, New Testament? That word means covenant. So a lot of times we look at this and say, okay, well then, we say, well then, I've got to obey this or I'll be under a curse. That's not the truth. We'll, we'll dig into that. Others would say, well, this is Old Testament. It doesn't apply to me. I'm good. I ain't got to give a thing. When Jesus came, he fulfilled the Old Covenant, and now we're in grace. When you receive Christ, you're saved by grace. The Old Covenant for the Jews was, you got to work to get it. Deuteronomy 28. Read Deuteronomy 28, blessings and curses. You're blessed if you do this and cursed if you do that. For us, we're in grace today, meaning that we're, we're under grace. We're not under the law. Isn't that a good thing? Because the whole argument of the New Testament, when you read Galatians and Romans, Paul talks about law and grace over and over and over, how we're not under the law anymore. You're not saved by works anymore. You're in grace. So what does that mean for us when it comes to generosity? What does that mean for us when it comes to Malachi? Because God doesn't change. So we got to look at this scripture and figure out as New Testament believers what principles transfer to us in the New Testament, in the New Covenant that God requires of us, that God looks at and says this is what the standard is. So if you have your notes handy, write this down. This is very important today, and this is what we have to understand about Malachi and about grace. And the big idea is this. Being in grace has a bigger calling than being under the law. Being in grace, which is you and I in Christ, right, has a bigger calling than being under the law. That was law. They dreamed and hoped for the day that Messiah would come and would save them. We get to live in that. So many people will look at this and argue and say, well, I'm, I'm, I'm saved by grace. I'm not under the Old Testament law. I don't have to do any of that. And that's the wrong way to look at it. Because when you have grace... You now have the Holy Spirit of God living in you. They didn't have that in the Old Testament. Right? The Holy Spirit could come upon them and give them power to do works. But it was only until Jesus rose from the dead. He's taught for 40 days. 
He's hanging out with the disciples, resurrected Jesus, and then he ascends to heaven. And he says, you go, and you go and wait for the promise of the Father. They go, and the Holy Spirit fills them. And then you see that now from this point, the church was born. When you were saved, the Holy Spirit of God lives inside of you. Isn't that beautiful? That you're saved by grace? It's not of works? That's beauty. So what does that mean now with Malachi? God says he doesn't change. Hebrews says Jesus is, yesterday, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So if that's true, when it comes to this scripture in Malachi about tithes and offerings and curses, and you'll be cursed if you don't do it, and I'll open up the windows of heaven and bless, how does that apply to us? I first of all want to show you um, what did change. Now the first thing is this, I want you to, to write this down, so you get to understand this. The first thing that did change was this. Jesus took the curse of the law for us and has given us grace. It says in Galatians, curse, Galatians 3.13, curses everyone who hangs on a tree. If you did not do the, the law to the T, there was a curse. Blessings and curses, Deuteronomy 28, go through it. Scary. Like, I don't want to be cursed. <laughs> We're talking about generational curses. It's not a thing. You can have generational bondages. So maybe mom and daddy had some issues that's just passed down to you. But you're not cursed. You are blessed. Isn't that beautiful? That you, you are in the law, you, I mean, you're in grace, you're not under the law anymore. Like when, when God looks at you, he sees perfection. You can come to Christ and, and completely because of what he's done for you. That's the beauty of the gospel. That's what separates Christianity from every other religion. He took the curse of the law from you. So number one, in Malachi, you can't be cursed if you don't tithe. And I've heard preachers preach before. If you don't tithe, your cars will break down and things will go bad for you. We'll, we'll get to all, all, all that type of stuff. We're not cursed. We have grace. That's the New Testament gospel, right? Here's the second thing you have to understand, too. You aren't giving 25% to the Jewish temple. Their tithes and their offerings, they were an agrarian culture, meaning they had agriculture and grain and animals. They had to bring the, the first and the best of everything to the Jewish temple. And the Jewish temple in that day and time, they helped pay for the priests. They could actually have worship. Right? They could do that, the temple assistant, we talked about a few weeks ago, pay those guys. And then they also kept in there, not only to keep the priest alive and going, but they also had uh, goods there to help the, the, the community, the widows, the orphans. It was like a storehouse there. And they brought all their first fruits there to the storehouse. You're not doing that. That's a good thing, right? We're not asking you, and I'm, I don't want you to bring animals here if you have them. I don't want your horses, your donkeys. I don't want your bread. <laughs> Right? I don't need grain. I don't need, your, you know, if, if you do have a garden and want to give me vegetables, I will take those. I love vegetables. But, but that's not what, what we're doing. We're not giving 25% upwards. Some believe 35% it was they, they gave to the Jewish temple. So we're not doing that. The next is this. You aren't cursed if you don't tithe, as I, if I just said. You're not cursed. So then you're thinking, Phew, I don't have to do it. That's great. <laughs> we'll get to all that. But again, you cannot look at the Old Testament and apply it directly to you because you're under the new covenant. That's the old covenant, right? So that's the beauty. You're not going to be cursed. And then finally, you have to realize this too. You are blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Paul opens up the letter to the church at Ephesus. Read, the, read Ephesians. He tells them, you are blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Isn't that amazing? Every spiritual blessing. Wow, well, I'm not good enough. You don't, know what you, you don't know what I did yesterday. It doesn't matter. You're in Christ. Every spiritual blessing. See, 
they believe, the, 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 the Ephesians believe this because they came from a pagan culture. The whole culture of Ephesus worshipped Artemis or Diana, this goddess. And the saying in Ephesus was, you are blessed because of Artemis or Diana. And Paul tells the Ephesians, no, 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 no. You're blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. That's the beauty. And that's what I want you to understand. But here's the problem, and here's what we run into. Because people will look at this and say, whew, gosh, I'm glad I don't have to give anything, man. That's great. I don't have to do anything now. Christianity is not that you don't, you, you don't have to do anything. You get to do something because of what he's done. It's our privilege to get to partner with God. It's our privilege to get to be generous. Here's the problem, and here's what I want you to understand is this. If you are looking for a reason not to be generous, you may have to check if you have ever experienced God's generosity. If you ever look for a reason, a loophole to not be generous, you may have to look and see, have I, have I ever experienced God's generosity? This is what I talked about last week. Like for me, like for me, it's, it's pretty easy. I gave my life to Jesus. Money? That's nothing. Nothing. I gave my life to him. He owned everything. How I use my brain, how I use my eyes, my hands, my life. My, my whole life is dedicated to the Lord. So like for me, people like money, I got to, they talk about money. Well, when you understand that you've experienced God's generosity, that he bought you with a price, that you were a slave to Satan, you were part of the kingdom of darkness, and God through the blood of his son, the precious blood of his son bought you. And then we want to argue about, well, I don't, I, I don't have to serve. I don't have to give. I wonder, did you ever experience the generosity of the gospel? Because when I look at how generous God was to me, it brings me to my knees, and my response is, Lord, whatever you want, I, here I am. Yes, whatever you want, Lord. That's why I'm in ministry today. That, that's why I do what I do today, because when the Lord rescued me, I was like, Peter, where else do I go? This is all that, you're all that I have. And so when we look at this, and, and, and we'll get into what God's calling us to as New Testament believers, but if we get into this thinking, what can I get away with? How little can I give back to the Lord in my life? Then maybe you've never experienced the gospel. Yes, maybe you do like church. Maybe you grew up in church. Maybe you believe in the Bible. That's good. Good for you. But Christianity in America is what Islam is, is to the Middle East. It's cultural. It's church, apple pie, American flag, guns. Mom and daddy, and Bible. It's cultural. And for many people, going to church is a cultural thing they were conditioned to do. For me, that, that wasn't the, the, the case. It wasn't that. For me, it was the fact that I hated Jesus and I hated God, wanted nothing to do with him. I didn't go to church. So when I gave my life to Christ, it was foreign to me that people would actually go to church and go through motions. Like, why would you go to church if you're not all in for Jesus? Like, why? Because I'm telling you, I, could, I had some fun out in the world. And there were better things to do than sit in church. So for me, it's a little weird. That, that, that's why I say, like, have you ever experienced the generosity of the gospel where you've been captured? You realize what the gospel really is? Because I don't think many Christians, if I asked you today, what is the gospel? Many, many people who think they're Christians will say, it's believing in God. And that's not the gospel. Demons believe in God and they tremble. I've said that before. And that's from Scripture. That's what the, James wrote that. Many believers don't, couldn't say, I was bought 
with a prize. I was once part of the kingdom of darkness, and I'm part of the kingdom of his dear son. I've, I've been translated from one kingdom to the next. I have nothing of my own anymore. He owns everything because he bought me. I am his servant. I am his doulos in the Greek, right? So, so, so before we get into this, check, and you really need to do a heart check to say, what is the gospel, and have I truly surrendered my life to Jesus? Because if you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, yeah, this money stuff really is weird. It is. Like, like, like it's going to bother you. But when you surrendered to Jesus, I'm like, money? I gave my life to him. This is easy. Right? So here's what the Lord is calling us to do. So if God doesn't change, then what is true for us as Christ's followers today? As I preached this last week, let me remind you of this. Financial generosity in the form of extravagance was the New Testament call from day one. So the early Christians, when they first got saved in the book of Acts, they were Jewish. So they still attended synagogue on Saturday. They still tithed to the Jewish temple. And they supported the work of the church. When I say church, that wasn't like a, 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 it was the work of ministry. So what they did early on was they would actually sold property to support ministry, to support what was going on because people were getting saved left and right. They sold property above and beyond. They were like, man, extravagance. Remember the, the woman with the alabaster jar last week? A year's worth of wages? Extravagance. That's the call of the New Testament. And when you read and understand New Testament giving, they were always called to be extravagant with that. Now, extravagant literally means this. It means giving more than what is required, and whatever that, 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 whatever that is for you, to the point that you know that you've gone above and beyond. I don't know what that is for you, but the Lord will call you to that. So giving in the form of extravagance is the New Testament call for believers. Secondly, it's this, supporting the local church, church planning, and global missions. That's what you see in the book of Acts. They supported the local church there for the needs they had, but they also supported missions and church planting because there were no churches. They were where Paul went. He would share the gospel. There were no Christians there. And Paul raised money over and over again. He started as a tent maker, and he had a side business, and ministry got so demanding he had to quit that. And so then, as you, if, you, if we look at this, he would write letters, especially to the church at Corinth twice and the church at Philippi, and he would tell them exactly what he needed. They needed to raise money. They needed to, to support the work of the ministry, and you see that. So what is our call? Our call is to support the local church. Why is that? This is the place, not just here, but any local church, where believers are discipled, people come to faith, and we're able to help people become fully devoted followers of Jesus. That's why this is our storehouse now, right? This is what fuels that. That's why we're so, we're so focused on church planning and missions here at Thrive Church. We're so focused on it. We do, we do an offering every year called the Accelerate Offering. Do you know what that is? 100% of that money goes back to church planning and missions. It's all gospel. Amen. And according to the claps, we only had 53 people give to it out of several hundred that attend Thrive. Yeah, it's probably one of the 53. Because we want to make sure the gospel goes forth to the ends of the earth. We want to make sure we plant churches. We want to make sure that, believer, uh, that uh, people are becoming believers, getting water baptized. We want missions, man. People in other countries to experience the gospel because of what's happening here. And so that is the call. That was the call of the New Testament, and that's our call as well. Here's the, the next one here. You give because of his grace, 
that is fueled by gratefulness. That's why you give, because you're grateful, as I said before. That's why I give. It's fueled by grace, because I'm grateful that God rescued me. He redeemed me for the curse of the law. Now, and my life was transformed. Now I want it to go to the ends of the earth, right? And then here's the thing I want you to understand. The next one is this. There is a blessing attached, watch this now, to financially supporting the work of God through the local church. There is. You don't, get, you don't do that to get it. But over and over in the New Testament, Paul writes and tells them, what you sow, you're going to reap. If you sow a small crop, you're going to get a small seed, you'll get a small crop. If you sow bountifully, you're going to reap bountifully. I mean, that's just what he says. I didn't write it. I didn't come up with it. The Apostle Paul wrote that. And one of the scriptures that we have quoted, and I should quote this all the time, that we get wrong is that there is a conditional blessing attached to giving to the kingdom of God. Watch this. Now, will you be cursed if you don't give? No. But will you experience the blessing of God when you support the, the work of God? And again, again, if you think, I want your money, give to another church. Please, please. But I do know this. When you set apart your first and your best and say, God, this is for you, can I tell you, there is a blessing attached. You've probably heard the scripture, Philippians 4.19. And my God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory. Philippians 4.19. You've probably heard that before, right? That's not for everybody. And it may not be for you. It's conditional. If you read the letter that Paul wrote, and we're going to read the surrounding verses, he says this, because you gave and you supported the work of the ministry, now my God will supply all of your needs. Remember I've told you before, if you take care of God's kingdom, he'll take care of your castle. If you put God's kingdom first, he'll make sure your castle is never in need and, and, and you'll be fine. From day one at 19 years old, I started tithing. And then I went to tithing off gross, and then I started giving more and more and more. My, my dream is one day to give 30, 40, 50 percent of my income back to the work of the ministry. That's what I want to do one day. Because I believe the more you, and here's, here's why I know that God will continue to bless as, and I know for me as I give, is this here. That verse is, again, and the same God who takes care of me will supply all of your needs from his glorious riches, which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. But watch what he says before this. As you know, you Philippians were the only ones who gave me financial help when I first brought you the good news and then traveled on from Macedonia. I want you to realize this too. These letters were circulated. This letter to the church at Philippi was circulated to other churches, and they were the only ones who helped. How would you like to be at the church at Ephesus? And you get this letter and then you realize, we didn't do anything for Paul. Uh-oh. We're in trouble. No other church did this, he wrote. Even while I was in Thessalonica, you sent help more than once. That's the church at Philippi. I don't say this because I want a gift from you either. Rather, I want you to receive a reward for your kindness. At the moment, I have all I need and more. I am generously supplied with the gifts you sent me with Epaphroditus. They are a sweet-smelling sacrifice that is acceptable and pleasing to God. And the same God who takes care of me will supply all of your needs from his glorious riches which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. When you decide in your life to support what God is doing in his kingdom, there will be a blessing on your life. It's not always money. 
It's not always God's going to open you up and give you a Mercedes Benz or a Rolex watch. But can I, t- I, I know this for a fact, and I guarantee, if, if, you, if you disagree with me, find, find someone who has gray hair and who's been a tither. And you ask them, has it been worth it? Do you think God's blessed you? And I've, I have never seen anyone who's a saint in the Lord, who is mature in the Lord, who's been a tither say, man, I'm tell you what, I, I've struggled my whole life. I supported the work of God. Man, I ain't seen God do nothing for me. I've only seen them talk about the blessing of God, and I've only seen the most generous people you have are those people. They want to give to the kingdom of God because they believe in the mission and they know that there's a blessing attached to it. So when God told the the children of Israel, I'll open up the windows of heaven, I'll pour a blessing on you that you can't contain, there is somewhat of a transference there of principle that for us as New Testament believers, when you put the kingdom of God first, there will be a blessing. God will supply all of your needs. He will take care of you. He will do things for you. And he'll open doors for you. There's a blessing attached to it. See, generosity is not what God wants from you. He doesn't need your money. It's what he wants for you. I'm going to say that over and over again. And some of you have never experienced the joy of generosity. You've never experienced the joy of partnering with God. Some of you have never experienced the joy of being led by the Holy Spirit to give something. Say, God, what would you ha- who would you have me give to? above, my, above my, my normal giving, and what do you want me to give to? Because I guarantee if you're like me, the, the first moment you get any extra money coming in, what are you thinking? Come on, right? It's time to buy this, it's time to buy that. Have you ever, have you ever thought about a missionary? Have you ever thought about like, man, how I can bless the kingdom of God? beyond? When the Holy Spirit speaks to you, and you're able to bless someone like that, I'm going to tell you, it will change your life. It will change... You will never, listen, the most important times of your life will not be, I bought that 70-inch 5K TV to watch the football on. I was changed forever. When I drove that car off the lot, But can I tell you what will change your life? When the Holy Spirit of God speaks to you and tells you to give to someone and you have no idea they even needed it. And their wife calls you up crying because they were praying to God. I'll never forget when I got the insurance check in one time. And I was ready to give that, I was was ready to to spend spend it. The Lord told me, he said, you send that to, to, to this person. You put it in the bank, you write them a check, and you send it to them. And I sent it. And I had a friend who was planting a church. He was watering down milk for his family. He was so poor. Just for his kids to have milk. Half water, half milk to put in their cereal. And him and his wife, were, she called me crying, saying, we prayed and asked God for a miracle, for a blessing. You have no idea what you've done for us by sending us this money. Friends, that's transformative. Not when I bought a PlayStation. Not when I bought a new iPhone. See, we think it's, Jesus said this, and and we don't have it in the Gospels, but the Apostle Paul quoted this. He said it's more blessed to give than to receive. But in our culture, we think it's more blessed to receive than to give. 
And I want some of you to experience the power of what it means to be spirit-led and for the Lord to use you to bless his work and to bless his kingdom. That will be the stories that people will tell about you when you're gone one day. So how do you do this? I want to help you out with this here. The first is this. Make generosity a priority by giving a percentage of your income first to honor God. Now, here's what Paul wrote to the church at Corinth. Watch this now. This is New Testament. 1 Corinthians 16, 2. He said, on the first day of the week, what day is it today? First day of the week. Each one of you. So you're like, ain't talking to me. Each one of who? You. Say, that's me. You're like, come on, man. So set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income. That's percentage giving. That means you got to be wise with it. But in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. Every one of us should set apart a percentage. Now, listen, for me, the gold standard is tithing. Now, if you ask me, what do you believe about Malachi personally? Hey, listen. All I know is this, 10% is where I started at. That's where I started. I never see it. I give God my first and my best. And I've told you this before, I want to spur you on. I want every year to give one more percent to the kingdom. One more percent and one more percent and one more percent to the kingdom. Every year. That's what I want to do. But here's what you should do. What is that percentage for you? I would say tithe, but I can't in the New Testament tell you that's what you have to do. Again, it's, if that's it's what you're looking to, if you want the line and figure out what's the line, I'm a tither. I will always be a tither. I, I'm extremely blessed. I'm completely debt-free in life. And I firmly believe because I have taken care of the kingdom of God, he's taken care of me. And if you look at my income, you'd be like, how are you debt-free, boy? How do you have what you got? What, what, how do you... Because I've taken care of the kingdom of God. So I would say that. If you're wondering where I start, you can start at 5%. You can start at 3%. You can do whatever you want to do. But I believe Christ followers take, the, take, take it and you set it apart. And that's God. But you see, here's the thing. We're, I'm, not, I'm not asking you to give. We don't give as believers. We return. In the Old Testament, they said the tithe belongs to the Lord. That's why they were robbing God. It didn't belong to them. How have you robbed God? You've robbed me in tithe because the tithe belongs to the Lord. So what I do, I just, I just take it at, at face value for that. Tithe belongs to him. Goes so for you, if you want to, to, to do this, sit down. If, if you're single, sit down with the Holy Ghost and just talk to him, the Holy Spirit, you know. If you're married, sit down with your spouse and figure out where do we start to bless the kingdom of God. And again, if you're skeptical, we'll give you a list of churches to give to this not thrive church. But sit down and do that first. So make it a party by giving a percentage of your income to honor God. Give him the first, give him the best. The second thing you want to do, make the kingdom a priority by being consistent. 2 Corinthians 8, 10, and 11. And look what Paul says about them being consistent and following through. He told a lot about giving. You just never, you probably never read this. But he says, last year, talking to the church at Corinth, you were the first not only to give, and don't you love how he talks to each church about this, like what they did in regard to the other churches? Because he knew the letters would be circulated. And he wanted to spur up a little bit, of, a little bit of competition in the churches. I like that there. He says, not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. He says, church at Corinth, you were the first one that year that wanted to. 
Not only the first one to give, but the desire. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do may be matched by your completion of it. He says, finish what you started. Be consistent. That's what I would say secondly, secondarily to you. Be consistent with it. Um, what I encourage people to do, again, you may think recurring giving. Boom, set it apart and never get it. Because if you're like me, I, I never see my tithe. Never. Because if you're like me, it can get spin up real quick, can it? Right? So be consistent with it. Whatever God's calling you, wherever he's calling you to give to, whatever he's calling you, be consistent. And the third and final thing this morning is this. Make the right attitude a priority when giving. Make the right attitude a priority when giving. Attitude matters to God. And if we're someone who says, you know what, I'm going to give because, and, and I'm angry, and I'm like, oh, that God, son of a gun, he wants me to give, I'll give. The Lord would rather, rather you keep it, if that's, that's the case. Because it says this in 2 Corinthians 9, 7, each of you should give. He keeps saying each of you, like he, Paul has expected everybody to give, didn't he? This is New Testament. And don't look at me like that. I didn't write this. I'm reading to you the Bible. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. What is the Lord saying to you? What is the Lord speaking to you as a couple? He says this, not reluctantly. So if, you, if you're reluctant, he says, don't do it. Or under compulsion or under pressure. If you feel like I'm pressuring you to do something, don't do it. Keep it. But he says this, for God loves a cheerful giver. So I've said before, does that mean God doesn't love people who aren't cheerful givers? No. But it blesses the heart of God when somebody is joyfully in glad obedience wanting to push the kingdom forward. It blesses the heart of God when he, when he sees that the gospel means something to you. It blesses the heart of God when he sees somebody, that word there, cheerful, means hilarious. It's like, yeah, I can't wait. It blesses that. Make the right attitude a party. Not only should you give a percentage and be consistent, but man, man, make sure your heart's right. And some of you may need to sit down this week. I think the first thing I would do is survey your heart when it comes to the gospel, as I said before. I want you to really think about this. And I'm dead serious. Or have you surrendered your life to Jesus Christ? Is he your Lord, your, your master? Or are you just a churchgoer? That's the first thing. Has the gospel gripped you? Has it transformed your heart? That's the first thing. And then the second thing you need to do once you've answered that question is you need to figure out what's the Lord calling you to when it comes to, to giving? What's the Holy Spirit saying to you? And then be obedient to that. Because that's being obedient to the Lord. What I, what I do is my first 10% goes to an organization that plants churches, that takes care of pastors and leaders and, and helps them and resources them. It doesn't even go to this church because I don't want you to ever think that I give to something that, that pays my paycheck. That'd be a little self-serving, right? But above that, it's what I call free game. I get to seek the Lord and ask the Holy Spirit who and what I should give to. What are you calling me to? And you have passions. You have things that God's put in your heart. You have things that make you weep and pound the table. 
There, it, it may be children's cancer research for you. It doesn't have to be a church. For some of you, maybe like human trafficking. You have a heart for that. For some of you, maybe children with disabilities. I don't know what that is for you, but the Lord will call you to give to things that He's put passions in you for. This is an opportunity for you to see what's inside of your heart and what God wants to do. And I'm telling you something, guys. You will never, ever regret God doing this in your life. So here's what I want to do. I want to pray for you this morning. And I'm going to pray for you, first of all, about the gospel, that the Lord would speak to you and the Lord would show you where you're at in regards to have you surrendered or not. Because some of you light bulbs off this week. You said, man, I, I know churchianity. I don't know Christianity. And then for others of you that know the Lord, I want the light bulb to go off this week and God to show you what you're supposed to do and where you're supposed to give. And I want it to be such a powerful moment for you because one day you're going to look back and there's going to be somebody you're going to touch and you're going to bless. There's going to be people in heaven that will shake your hand one day and say, thank you for giving to missions. Thank you for helping plant that church. I got saved there. And now you're a part of that. And that's what I want to pray this morning for you with. Lord, we open our hearts to you today. And we know that, Lord, in the Gospels that you spoke more about uh, money than you did heaven. Because it reveals our hearts. So God, I pray that, first of all, Lord, show us our heart when it comes to the gospel. I pray today that there will be people that maybe they don't really know you and they thought they did know you because they went to church and just believed, but they had never surrendered their life to you. They would never, Lord God, repented and turned to you and turned away from their old life. I pray, Lord, that that moment would happen. If not today, this week, the light bulb will go off with the gospel. Please, God, do that in our hearts. Eternity counts on it for some of us in here. And God, secondarily, we open up our heart to you to be led by your spirit. That you would show us what we're supposed to do for the kingdom of God. How we're supposed to fuel the message of Jesus to go to the ends of the earth, to see people saved and redeemed, God. Show us that. And I pray, Lord, that even above and beyond that, you would show people areas of passion that makes them weep and pound the table where they're going to give to, and they're going to touch people's lives, Lord. And out of that, they will have a story written by the power of the gospel. I pray for that, Lord. Holy Spirit, speak to every one of our hearts today and this week. We give you full permission, Lord, to do that. And Father, if any of us in here have a bad attitude about it, if any of us in here, Lord God, find that greediness grips our hearts, speak to our hearts, Lord, help us with that. Help us to be joyful about what you're doing, Lord. God, we love you in here and we praise you. And as I said earlier, maybe you realize that you've never given your life to Christ. You've never had that moment where you said, Lord, I turn from it all and I give my life to you. I surrender to you. Maybe you've never been gripped by the gospel. Right now is your time. Whether you're watching online, whether you're in here physically, today is your day. This moment is your moment right now where you're sitting. I want you to pray this prayer after me. And it's simply saying this, God, I need Jesus. I surrender my life to Christ. I repent of my old life. I receive new life. I receive forgiveness of sin. For I believe that Jesus died on the cross 
I believe he rose again on the third day. And I believe he is Lord. And today, I confess Jesus Christ as my Lord and my Savior. It's in Jesus' good name I pray. Amen. Amen.